tend to study and go through the passage that Gwen read for us earlier, but for our purposes this morning, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2 to begin with, where we will be reading verses 17 through 22 to open up our time studying. As you turn there, let me just say that as if you are like me, and maybe you've been in church for a long time, or you've been reading the Bible for a long time, uh, I don't know what it is, but sometimes the the words and the whatnot just just has a tendency to pass through my eyes or over my ears um, without giving so much thought to those words, especially if you think you know what they mean. I'm talking like words like grace and faith and love and salvation. Those are all big words, and they have lots of meaning, it seems like, but we spend maybe seconds digesting because they're used so often. One of those words could be signs. <laughs> See, up until this last week, I think I can safely say, for the most part, I threw the word signs in with the word wonders. <laughs> and I just married their meaning. Like sometimes we say, it rained and it poured, or, you know, I, I woke and I arose, or we dined and we ate, and and we just throw these weird conjunction phrases that really only requires one word, right? It rained, I woke, and we ate. <laughs> and we just throw signs in with wonders as if they mean both the same thing, but they don't. So consider with me Peter's sermon on Pentecost. I invite you to stand in honor of hearing the Lord's word in Acts chapter 2. We're just going to read a few words from his sermon in Pentecost. Peter says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Let's pray. Father, if we're not careful, we always enter into this time with a feeling of familiarity and routine, and we've been here before. And Would you show us that whenever we open up your word and we hear your spirit, it's never routine. It's never, but rather it's supposed to be a time of you, your spirit, breathing fresh life fresh words into our ears and our hearts, that you would use it to grow and mature us, to stretch us. Father, would you do a, a good sort of heart surgery on us? Would you speak in, speak to us and reveal where we need conviction and repentance? Most of all, we ask for your Spirit to not only have the words given to us, but then to respond in the way that we should. Help us, Father. I pray that it would be you speaking and not I. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
verse 19, here in Acts 2, Peter was giving us Joel, the prophet Joel's words. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And then verse then in verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Some Hebrew expressions are called couplets. And they say similar things in different ways to expand and and emphasize their meaning. Nevertheless, even in the original language, we know that wonder signs and works are all different here. One, our word that we're interested in, sign, Strong's would say that the usage of it can be a sign, a miracle, an indication, a mark, or a token. Consider the meaning of sign, indication, and token. These are all words that say this. A sign is something that doesn't stand alone, but indicates or is a token of something else, something greater. So we see a red hexagon with the four letters S-T-O-P, and by itself, all we're literally seeing is a post, a metal placard, some paint and letters. But the entire structure itself doesn't direct our attention to itself, but it's supposed to direct our attention to press the stop pedal in our cars. Some of you, this is news to you. Learn it. (laughs) Okay? It's a sign for us to do something else entirely outside of its structure. It's indicated for us to do something, a token, a reminder for us to do something. As we go through the signs of Jesus... We realize that beyond what he did in those moments, it pointed us to greater and more profound meanings. He changed water into wine just as Moses changed the Nile into blood. Moses, signaling the law, showed us death just as the Nile caused death by by it being blood. Jesus, signaling grace in the new covenant, indicates life found in the vine. Jesus did something literal there. Ramifications were happening. A bunch of people at a wedding suddenly had more to drink for their festivities, but it's also a sign. All the stuff I just indicated. Um, Mark has two accounts of Jesus multiplying food. Jesus first did it in Israel. Twelve baskets were left over. All are welcome to come to him to have the leftovers and eat the bread of heaven all 12 tribes of Israel, 12 baskets. The second time it happened in Gentile territory, not Israel, seven baskets were left over. The number of completion signifying that the rest of the world, the entirety of the world are welcome to come to him and feast on the bread of heaven and be saved. Now in those moments he showed compassion and he served food to great crowds, but the events don't stand alone. They're signs. They have deeper meaning, as I just explained. (laughs) So there is a a stop sign, the structure, the materials that are made, Jesus turning the water into wine, Jesus feeding the hungry crowds, but then there's the indication, the token, the signal. Jesus being the life giver, Jesus being the bread of heaven. Are you tracking with me? Okay. 
every time I come to a passage where a healing takes place, what comes to mind? (laughs) See, it seems like lately I've been praying for more folks who have cancer than I've ever known at one time before. (laughs) Christy and I were praying for Bob Wilcox almost nightly when we first heard he had cancer, I think, last fall, and then this spring he passed away. Many folks in this church having physical ailments, and where we come to today... Maybe it may not be eight years of paralysis as the person in our passage has. Nevertheless, you know the intense major drain on the quality of life. That's there all the time. And we read about Jesus healing and Jesus' apostles healing and we feel the pain in more ways than one. Because even though we're not paralyzed, we do have this heart condition, this cancer, this whatever And we've been praying for healing, and we are believers, so why not heal us? And personally, when I've preached through the Gospel of Mark and Jesus healing, or when I've preached through other healings in the book of Acts, or in James where it talks about healing, I get tired of wanting to feel like I need to preach it apologetically. (laughs) As in, well, hey, it still happens. Sorry it's not happening to you at this time. Healing can still happen, though. (laughs) Here's why it happened. And the truth of the matter is, is that healing is a sign of the gospel. Healing is a stop sign. But there are indications and they are tokens of greater truths. The paralytic is is lowered on a mat from a roof in front of a preaching and teaching Jesus to be healed. What's the sign there? Jesus gives us the answer. Your sins are forgiven. That's not what the paralytic was expecting, but Jesus revealed a primary sign of what healing means. The act, the stop sign, the structure, is that the ill man gets well, but the greater meaning, the sign, is that spiritually ill people are healed of their spiritual disease sin. And so while you and I feel the pain of literal disease ravaging loved ones and us and wondering about healing... Jesus makes no apology when he points us to the greater sign. In today's passage, we see two signs of the gospel. If you follow my illustration, the stop signs themselves, the the, the elements, the posts and placards, are Peter healing a paralytic and then Peter raising a dead woman. But the, the great, profound, hopeful, literal incidents, they all occurred, but the great truths that they point us to are two great signs of the gospel, and that is the gospel makes you whole and the gospel resurrects the dead. First, the gospel makes you whole here in Acts chapter 9. We we return to the story of Peter after a long time in the book of Acts, actually only about a chapter later, but it feels really long for us because it hasn't been since last fall. Verse 32, it says, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down to the saints who lived at Lydda. This is about a 23 miles northwest of Jerusalem, so in the Judea region. There are already saints in Lydda. This could be doing the, this could be the doing of Philip. If you remember Philip, he went south, south of Jerusalem. He saw the Ethiopian. He gave him the gospel. The spirit magically, miraculously transports him to a town called Azotus. Right there, and he's going up all the way to Caesarea, and he went through Lydda. Maybe he made uh, the church there. Or it could be that after Pentecost, even earlier than Philip, maybe some folks from Lydda heard the gospel and went back there. 
Peter shows up and he finds saints, but he also finds Aeneas. Verse 33. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now, Dean says this all the time. How many times do we read through a verse? Oh, okay, and keep going. Think about that. Eight years. That's a long time. This coming August, I'll be, I'll have been preaching at Woodland Friends fairly regularly for seven years. Some of you know the long, painful health issues. Kids are raised only knowing that uncle, that grandmother, that cousin, that sibling as always having that condition. They never know a different aunt, whoever. Newcomers come into Lydda and they quickly learn that Aeneas is the town paralytic. It becomes normal to see Aeneas and to know, poor Aeneas, he'll always be that way. Not the case when Peter showed up. Verse 34. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. So that was the stop sign. That was the the literal pull, the placard, the paint, the letters stop. Yet Peter preached in Acts 2 in Pentecost that the wonders that were being done would be signs. They would point to greater things. I'd be willing to bet that a lot of us have spiritual paralysis. You and I can have sin in our hearts. We have habitual sins, sins that maybe we've given up on calling sin so as to stop reminding ourselves that we're even guilty of them. Maybe they are small. Maybe they are big. Some call them bad habits. Some call them facts of life. But because of our acceptance and our tolerance of what God does not accept or tolerate, it begins to paralyze us. And guilt and shame stop us from moving forward in our walk with God. And before we know it, years go by and we're living paralyzed lives. Paralyzed in our faith. You know what Jesus says to a church only a few decades after this? He says in Revelation chapter 3, He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And then to Laodicea, he says later in the chapter, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see." Paralysis of the faith of the Spirit. Not moving forward, maybe not moving backwards either, but not moving forward. And it becomes so normal. Experientially, I can tell you that it becomes so normal that you forget it's not normal. See, it's not what God saved us for. He didn't save us to be paralyzed. It's interesting because we're surrounded in an evangelical culture where... 
It's the gospel preach, I accept, I believe, and I'm forgiven, and then we think we're done. (laughs) Friends, Peter and Paul accepted the gospel, they were saved. Did they feel done? (laughs) Did they act like that they were done? (laughs) Did Peter go back to fishing? Did Paul go back to being a rabbi or settle comfortably into the life of a tent maker? Again, Jesus says to that first church I mentioned, Sardis in Revelation, he says, wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in my sight, in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Hmm, that hurts our our Protestant ears. (laughs) I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. What works? Well, let's keep it in context. Jesus is addressing a congregation. Is there salvation at stake here? Well, I don't know. What's clearer is that the longevity as a church is, their communal vote, their communal paralysis may speak about their individual faiths. It has to. The point being is, do you feel paralyzed? I've been paralyzed. You know, I've been in the pews listening and under teaching Longer in my life than I've been preaching and behind the pulpit. It's coming up though. I'll be passing that in a little while. But I personally looked at pastors and I thought, oh, to have his faith. Oh, to be that well kept together and to be that committed and that loyal and that well practicing. Then I became a pastor and I found out that's not the truth. (laughs) As a pastor, I've been here. I've been paralyzed. Sometimes I may be up at midnight on Saturday writing a sermon because I've had a holy wrestling with God about what to preach. Other times it's just bad time management. It's easy distraction. Facebook's good for that. It's it's procrastinating. It's sin. It's paralysis. And sometimes as a pastor, I've been content to just be a chaplain and to make sure our church doors don't close to say hey, to say hi when you walk in and to call you up here and there, visit in the hospital when I can, whatever. Maybe it's just me. But if God can use 12 disciples without the wonders of the internet and only go about their locales and their regions in Israel and then for Paul to go to farther places to bring about the kingdom of God, what can God do with 40 people or so on a remote hill in Woodland who claim to be disciples, who have access to travel and to the internet, and their reach is even greater than Jesus of Nazareth while he walked around in the flesh, what can God do with you here? Are you paralyzed? Aeneas was paralyzed physically. I use commentaries with my sermons, as you might know, and it just so happens that I think both of them used the King James as their primary text when they were commentating. They will make references to other translations of the Bible for clarity. But I love how the King James translates verse 34 here. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Maketh thee whole. Jesus Christ makes you whole. I don't know about you, but for me, that that colors it slightly differently. Now, don't hear me wrong. This word healed in the ESV or maketh thee whole in the King James are the same words used throughout all of Scripture when referring to healing. They do really mean, in essence, the same thing. But I really like 
maketh thee whole, to me it seems to suggest something more in its usage than just healing. If we think about it, we get this in the physical sense. We understand that that for paralysis, more than just the simple fact that Aeneas is no longer paralyzed, but now there is a, a physical, material wholeness that returns to his life. He's free to do things he hadn't done in a long time. He's not just focused on, hey, I'm not paralyzed. <laughs> but his actions, his doings are now going to show, hey, I can work for my own food now. I can take walks again. I can lift up my grandkids now. Or my kids, however old he is. And could it be like the blind men in Jericho, you remember Bartimaeus, whenever he was healed and whenever he was made whole, could it be that, that Aeneas spiritually did what Bartimaeus did? Luke would word it this way in his book. He says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. I wonder if that's what's entailed in the making of one whole, following Jesus. Well, Peter gave glory to Jesus Christ and the healing of this paralytic. Again, Aeneas says, Jesus, or Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon. <clears throat> now, now this is amazing because 40 to 50 miles up the coast from Lydda is where the plain of Sharon starts. So sights and news that even Sharon saw him. It could be that they saw Peter, it could be that they saw Aeneas, a paralytic, now walking around. It could be both. But the sign directed them to this, and they turned to the Lord. There is a theme that, that Luke has in the book of Acts. I don't know if I've touched on it from behind the pulpit. I know our friend James has touched on it in his study guides. But in authoring both the books of Luke and Acts, sometimes they mirror each other. Uh, the Luke, the gospel, mirrors Acts. And... um Luke really wants us to see, as I've entitled our entire series of Acts, that Jesus' first church is continuing, that what Jesus did, the apostles do. And so consider with me the healing that Jesus did found in Luke 5. In fact, I already referenced it in Luke's account of the paralytic who was lowered in front of Jesus. What does Jesus say to him after he forgives him of sins? He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. And Peter said very similarly, rise and make your bed. And Peter said, just as Jesus says he has authority to forgive sins, Peter said it was Jesus Christ who makes whole. And the people turned to the Lord because of it. So I I want you to hear this, that wholeness is not simply... I was paralyzed and now I'm healed. (laughs) Wholeness is greater. I was paralyzed, but now I'm free to do and be. I feel like Christians think healing stops when my sins are forgiven. Healing starts there. (laughs) It doesn't stop there. I read this in my own personal uh, devotional reading on Friday morning, and I thought it was interesting See what Paul says our salvation is in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14. He says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Now listen to this. Listen how Paul describes being saved through sanctification. Now that's a maturing thing. 
That's a lifelong process thing. By the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. John Wesley describes salvation this way, that hearing the gospel is like the front sidewalk to a house. Conversion and then being justified by faith through grace is like just the inner porch here. Maybe the doorway. But then the whole bulk of salvation is entailed in sanctification or in holiness. That's the house of salvation. I think we have a tendency to make salvation a smaller thing, as in inside the house you're saved and converted and outside you're not. (laughs) Wesley imagines the house of salvation as a lifelong sanctification. This simple sketch makes it look like that the salvation moment is the whole point, which leaves the rest of our lives, well, what do we do now that we're saved? Paul said here in 2 Thessalonians 2.13 that we are saved through sanctification. That's the wholeness. Not just saved by belief in the truth. That's in 2 Thessalonians 2, but it's through sanctification. So Jesus Christ, the gospel, makes you whole. It made this paralytic whole. That was the first sign. But another sign takes it deeper. Another sign raises the stakes beyond paralysis another person is laid dead because of peter's healing and peter's pointing to jesus who healed the paralytic we find that the reputation of christ spreads and we read in verse 36 now there was in joppa 11 miles northwest of lydda a disciple named tabitha which translated means dorcas and translated from the aramaic and greek names here here Her name just means gazelle. (laughs) So apparently she was called both. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So we're, we're not even to the healing yet. But already, I wonder if you hear two languages here. So again, we have the reality of what's taking place, the sign, and the greater reality. So on one hand, we have the physical activity, urgency of these men coming to Peter. Tabitha is dead. We know you can do something about that. Come to us without delay. But I wonder if you and I have that urgency for the spiritually dead. And I see two failures on my part if I don't have that urgency. One, I don't see spiritually dead people in their true and right condition. And two, I really don't know the reputation of Christ. (laughs) I'll be honest, I do pray for those weak in faith or with no faith, but I wonder if there is some more urgency that I could have. I wonder if there's some more faith that I have in the power of Christ to draw people to Himself. These people believe in the power of Christ. Again, Tabitha was dead. She was ceremonially washed. She was laid upstairs for viewing. She was as dead as dead. This is not, hey, maybe we should wash her and lay her upstairs and see if she wakes up sometime. No. Uh, If it if this was the 21st century, the funeral home was called, the casket was being made, the phone calls and emails were going out for a memorial service. Yet, some believers in Joppa believe in Christ. And they believe in Peter. And Peter listens. So, Peter rose... And went with them, 
And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows, widows, yeah, widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed. So I wonder if, again, you know your gospel of Luke, if you know it. I wonder if you hear the echo of Jesus that Luke is letting us see. Peter is doing what Jesus did. See, the first church is carrying on the mission of the only church of Jesus. Do you remember Jairus' daughter? Luke would tell us in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. He says, And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Peter had accompanied Jesus when Jesus had shut everyone outside the house. And now Peter, apparently just by himself, no other disciples with him, puts everyone out of the house of Tabitha's. Now again, sign, someone's dead, nobody's in the room but the one who can help her. What's this a sign of? It's all over the Scriptures, especially in the writings of Paul, but you and I are dead in trespasses of sin. We know... We know this today. Sadly, people die, and everyone usually mourns about that. Why? Nobody can help the situation. They can't raise themselves, and we can't raise them up either. It's true the same spiritually. You and I, outside of Christ, are dead to sin. We can't raise ourselves up from that. Others can't either. So what needs to happen? We need to have an encounter with the one who can. The only one who can. Christ comes and does a work nobody else can do. Jesus says He is the way, the truth, and the life. And our man Peter here, he says in another chapter of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What this means if you're not saved, or maybe if you are saved and you feel paralyzed and you feel distant, is this. Nobody else can do this work for you except Jesus. You need to get alone with Jesus. You need to clear the room and get some time with Jesus. You need to be done with distractions, turn off the phone, the TV, close the magazines. It needs to be you and Jesus so He might do a work with you. I don't know where you're at, so I'll talk about me. How often I find myself paralyzed in my faith, unmoving in my faith. How do I meet with Jesus? Well, we think about this. Whenever we meet with people, we get into their presence, we talk to them, and they talk back. (laughs) Well, that's very elementary, Kevin. I know. (laughs) You and I claim we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in Jesus, so then am I talking to Him? Am I praying? Am I getting time alone with Him? Do I hear Him talking to me? Do I open up His Word? Do I spend time in the Scriptures? These are among the means of how He and I clear the room and we get alone time. If you're facing paralysis, or if you're dead, let God do what Jesus did and what Peter does here. Clear the room for Him so it's just you and Him. Let's read verse 40 again. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Compare that with Jesus speaking to Jairus' daughter, taking her by the hand, He called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. This is a sign of the gospel. Dead people rise at the touch of Jesus. You know, in the book of Hebrews, 
the author there goes through the Old Testament and he says, you know, most of the Old Testament were signs <laughs> and foreshadows of the realities found in Christ. You mean the Bible is about Jesus? Sorry. And Hebrews 9, we find one that connects how God raises the dead. He says the Old Covenant of bringing sacrifices served to sanctify us, but how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Through Christ, you and I can be raised up from dead works. We can move from death to life. We see here that though Peter healed, again, it's the sign of the gospel that actually brought many to faith. Verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And so the words raised her up are actually practically the same in the original language when referring to the resurrection of Jesus. He was raised up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. So physical happening, stop sign, pull, placard, paints, letters. Tabitha is alive and presented. Here's the sign, your and my resurrection. The spiritual reality of what being raised in Christ should do is the exact same thing. Christ should present us alive. His work should continue in, continue in us to present us not as a person of paralyzed faith or dead works, but as a living and active faith that testifies to who He is. So that many might believe in the Lord, we should be purified from dead works to serve the living God. Do you hear the, the active and the energy in those words, from dead works to serve the living God? Are you paralyzed this morning? How is your faith actively playing out? Are you dead this morning? You know, forget faith. You don't even know if you're alive when it comes to Christ. There is one man who can make you whole. There is one man who can raise you up. His name is Jesus. We look at these signs of the gospel, and I don't know about you. I don't just sit back, nod my head understandingly, and smugly say, oh, that's neat. Rather, I'm convicted. (laughs) I have a case of spiritual paralysis. I think... All I've been in for so many ways is just a guy who says to Jesus, thanks for the healing, but I'm not doing what Bartimaeus did. My works, since I've been set free, sometimes to me feels a little about doing to testify about Jesus. Yeah, I know I'm preaching, but personally in my day-to-day life. If you're there with me, let's invite the Lord to do a work in us, a work only He can do. Let's pray. Father, I read the Bible selfishly at times. It's not a bad selfishness. People want to be healed. I have conditions. I'd rather you touch me and and heal me. Sometimes you're gracious. You heal us. Sometimes you're gracious in the way you teach us by saying, hey, my grace is sufficient. There's a reason for that ailment. Both times you're gracious to us. But Father, we we look today at these healings and we we realize that you came to make people whole. You came to resurrect the dead, to serve the living God. And Father, many of us, we may have had a time and a place where we met with you and you saved us. It was a great time, a great experience, but 
could be because of the way we've been taught, could be because of our culture, it could be for many reasons, but for whatever reason, we thought salvation was a one-time experience where you and I made an exchange and we go part our ways and we'll see you when we get home. Father, you tell us here that you have plans for our lives, plans that go far beyond than just reading the Bible and going to church, plans that may bring to us little missions or big missions, plans that serve to purify us and make us more like you, and in, the, and in your great providence and sovereignty and wisdom also serve the greater church and the greater kingdom to bring people into your kingdom. Father, I pray that none of us are paralyzed, but the truth of the matter is, is perhaps many of us are. And if that's the case, we invite you here and now to do a work that nobody else can do. Father, would you touch us again like the way you touched us whenever we were saved? Would you remove the paralysis? Would you make us whole? Would you give us a willing heart and an obedient spirit? Father, would you stay on our case? Because I just speak for myself whenever I'm stubborn and I like my comfort and I like my convenience. So, Father, help us, we pray. We can't do this without you, nor should we try. And use us in this time to continue to serve you and to grow your kingdom, to see more people saved, to see more people to meet Jesus and to find love and truth and joy and peace found in you and in you alone. Amen.